Hola socios, hola equipo. My name is Neil. I'm Liam. This is John Nurnberger from Kansas City, Missouri, USA. Maury Field near Brisbane in Queensland. Edinburgh. Barcelona. And I'm a socio. I'm a socio. I'm a socio of the big interview. Hi there, I'm Liam from Edinburgh and I'm a socio because not only do you get to hear the world's top players speaking about their time on and off the park, you also get to hear Graham try and slip in a reference about Aberdeen in every show. Keep up the good work, guys. You're about to listen to an interview which our socios enjoyed in full 12 months ago. If you'd like to listen to these exclusive monthly big interviews on the day that they're released, it's time to join us. That means supporting us. It means the price of a pint per month. Go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter. Go now, join and become a socio. That means you'll get that extra big interview every month. And you'll also unlock our entire archive straight away, all for £2.99 a month. It's the best deal in town, baby. And we need you. I've rarely listened to anybody better describe the winning mentality which can limit the achievement of footballers who lack it than this man does. This interview covers all of Robbie's remarkable career, but that theme, his burning desire to play every week and to win, runs all the way through it like a steely spine. Now, here's Robbie. A footballer that... Both of us adore watching is Dimitri Berbatov. Mm. But he splits opinion. And you've laid your cards out on the table that you love people with a drive to win, that will commit to winning, it's a life choice, it's a day-by-day thing. And Dimitri Berbatov um, won a lot of matches, uh, won trophies. He's an elite, elite footballer mm. and is probably, by your own testimony, probably there or thereabouts your favourite striking mm. partner. Have I judged him wrongly that he wasn't quite driven to the same extent in that manner. I, I, I think he was driven by a love of the ball, but I see a difference in what you've been describing, the thing that got you passionate about, like, win, 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 mm-hmm. win. David Batty, Roy Keane, Luka Modic. Do, do you know what I mean? Or, or if I'm wrong, tell me what I've got wrong. Berbatov is like, in the training, you would see a different side. His team wasn't winning. He would, he would have a go, people. He would have a go. So I think it's just as... Is body language. Mm-hmm. Sometimes body language can you know, fool people, and, and he was certainly that. No question. He walks around, blah blah blah. He comes alive when he has the has the ball, but but very clever in in, in, in how he played the game. Very 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 clever. Um, looked like he probably wasn't working for the team, but he knew his positions very very well. Even if he walked into them positions, you know, he's definitely the best. Yeah, everyone has a partnership, don't they? Always ask any striker who's your partnership. You know, for me, it's definitely Berbatov. The 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 relationship that both of us had on the pitch was, you know, we was. I knew exactly what I was going to do from day one when he walked in. Without practice. Without practice. Yeah, yeah. And he was the same. And you know, we've spoken about this obviously, you know, since we've left Tottenham and and, and what have you. And um, Berbatov is a, is a, is a if you don't know him, he's a tricky character, if you don't know him. Very reserved, 
keep himself to himself. Always comes in dressed immaculate, suit on or a suit jacket, you know, always looks cool. Bring, brings his own knife and fork to, to training. So he, he's, he's, he's a little bit different, but he, when, you, when you actually get to know him, He's different. I don't think many people really got to know him apart from me and maybe a few others. I know Berbatov very well. We're good friends even now. We speak to each other quite a lot. And, and the first person he called when he, when he when India actually wanted him was, was me. Mm-hmm. So we spoke about that at length. So um, I know him very, very well and I know his mentality. And don't be fooled by you know, the way he walked around the pitch. Am I right in thinking that he, apart from being a craftsman, apart from being... Uh, I mean, to me, there, he, he's reminiscent also of Teddy Sheridan. Very much so. With judgment of space, balance. I mean, it's a beautiful thing to watch him play. You know, you, you, whether the team he's in, both of them, wins or loses, you're going to get your value for your ticket out of their mm. intelligence, that touch, distribution. But he loves the ball. That's what it feels like to me, that Berbatov, above anything... Loves the ball, loves the ball, be mm. treated well. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, you've just nailed it on the head there. He, he loved it. But it's similar to Luca, you know? Luca loves getting on the ball, loves making things. Berbatov's the same in training, wants the ball all the time. Doesn't matter what area it is. The, if playing a little five aside, the goalkeeper doesn't give it quickly in the area where there's player around me. So if he's marked by two players, he doesn't care. He just wants the ball, wants the ball. And that's, just, that's, a, that's a strong mentality in itself. Someone who wants the ball, when people is, is marking you where they know, if I lose this ball here, there's a good chance this team is going to score. So that's, that's his strength of character there, shown already. Uh, and you can, you can tell that in someone in the first training session. I can. Mm-hmm. First training session where I know someone who's got a different mentality. Other people run away from the ball, hide from the ball. I played with many players like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he didn't have that. Fans don't often notice that, I think. No. I think you can also disguise it by being quite busy in areas you shouldn't be. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that made you laugh. No, it made me laugh because I've, I've played with players like that yeah. who pretend that they want the ball and they come, 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 knowing that they're not really going to get it and then run away where it looks like for the fans and everybody that... Most people I'm are going to be fooled. Most people are. 100%. Played but, and uh, I, I won't mention any names, obviously. But, but how do you tolerate that? Well, you have to, you have to, you have to tell them, you know. But like, I, I would tell them because you want your midfield players getting on the ball, or your your, your centre half. It's mostly midfield players who come for the ball, and then knowing that they're not really going to get it, but it looks like they're getting it, so they move away, move to the side, and do the same thing, do the same thing, blah blah blah. So for me, I don't, I don't obviously enjoy playing with midfielders like that because you want your midfielders to get on the ball. Stephen Jarrett, Roy Keynes, Lucas, these players that will take the ball in any situation. Damien. Damien Duff will take it. We've seen him take it off the left back where two players around him come inside. People like that, that for me, I love players like that, <laughs> that can do that. And then, you know, hopefully as, as things progress in my career, as I, I move forward, hopefully as, as, as a coach, these are the things that I'll be looking for in players. You, you, from the little we were able to watch Major League Soccer because some of the timings weren't great and also life's busy and it was a, for a working journalist in Europe it's, it's not a luxury but it's hard to be full, fully focused mm. I thought what I saw at LA was you playing much more like a 10 dropping into midfield taking time 
to make passes, to link, to change the tempo, doing things that you're clearly not a midfielder, but mm, more of a 10 than you probably ever were for, for, for Ireland. More of a 10, like sometimes you were with Spurs. I think, I, I think, I don't know how you classify yourself, but I think you're I, not just a 10 on your back. No, I'm in between them. I can play high, I can play short. I, I think I'm at my best when I can... I always tell... Uh, I said, I always tell younger players, now, don't be easy to mark by, by defenders. They, they, it's, it's very easy to mark someone when someone's always standing beside you. That's why I always played in between both. Go long, come short. Drop in the midfield sometimes just in between the midfielders and the, and the centre-halves, where it's very, very difficult to mark uh, centre-halves don't know where to come, where to stay. So to mix that up always in a game, I've always done that. In the Galaxy, I've always I did that the same. I, I never wanted to be easy to mark, and I'm always judged. And in my career, a lot of people would say my movement is probably yeah. my best at- attribute, and obviously scoring goals, but movement to get to score goals is you have to have good movement. And with the Galaxy, I played both. Very, very similar. But I enjoy playing that deeper role sometimes as well. But with Ireland, for example, they relied so much on me to score goals where I had to play higher. Always. So we didn't really have anybody else that, you know, that would, was an out-and-out goal scorer. So I had to play that higher, higher role. So that was the difference between me. If you see me at, at Tottenham, say, LA Galaxy or whatever where I played it. You know, it was always in between, but always Ireland was always a little bit higher up. They say in court cases you're supposed to never ask a question you don't know the answer to. But I'm curious, so I'm just going to ask you. Benzema, it's a real hard time in Spain because maybe he's not quite as prolific. He's certainly not as prolific with goals-to-chance ratio as you were in your career. But I think he is, you know, ostensibly he's a 10. Cristiano Ronaldo's efficacy for Real Madrid when Benzema is dropping off making space, giving nice little mm. touches, looking for him. He's a, I don't know what you think of him. Do you watch Benzema and yeah, see yeah. Do you yeah. like his movement? Or? Yeah, he's got, he's, got, he's got very good movement. Um, I see him more as a nine, to be honest with you. And, yeah, obviously he can come short and he's, he's, he can hold up quite well, but I wouldn't see him as a man who would start there as a ten and someone playing high up, for example. So... I see him as the as the high point of of a tree, um, but he's, he's he's clever in terms of movement because he creates a lot of space, you know, for Ronaldo, mm-hmm. which we've seen obviously over the years quite a lot. So he's a, I would say he's more of a nine. Who's I think he he's would be more of a nine than than Van Persie because Van Persie he used to be a ten. Mm. And then as he got older, he kind of ah. moved further up when he was at Man United, for example. Yeah. He was a nine, really, with Rooney playing behind him. A striker, and a finisher. As, as a nine, but someone who also, he can come off, hold the ball up and link up play and get, and get in the box. Not someone who could just start a game as, as a ten. Obviously he can, but as he got older, he kind of went further, further. Where I see Benzema as almost definitely a nine but coming off and linking the play. I always think players like you have got a huge amount of information stored up in your brain while you're playing. Choices, centre-backs, what the goalies like to do, don't do, atmosphere, where's that ball going to come? Where's it going to drop? Second ball, third ball? What's this referee like? It seems to me that... Oh, yeah. it, it might be natural to you, but it seems to me like there's a little computer and guys like you, 
you know, where it's about alertness, shrewdness, not just the talent, mm. how to work, working smart as well as hard, I think. There must be fucking much more information going on. Whirring it's funny through. you say that because I never really thought of that, but I, 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 I think of everything. Like when I, go into, when I go into a restaurant, for example, if I'm facing that way, my wife will go, oh, so-and-so's that, yeah, I know, I know. And I'm facing that way. <laughs> You've got some peripheral. I don't know. I just, when I went to rest, I don't know what I just, she always says to me. I've never told anybody that. That's the first time I've told, told someone that. that when I, anywhere I go, I've always kind of seen my surroundings quickly and to see, see what's there. And I think that obviously relates to on a, on a field also. I think that links to the, the point you made about Demi and, and speed or walking. I think you've quoted Teddy as talking to you about that. And I remember one of the times that Guardiola, you know, explained it so that the slow ones could keep up when he was still at Barcelona was like uh, Messi walking. And, and as soon as he says it, of course, you go like, oh, of course. Because there's this tide of humanity rushing around and it's like a really clever film technique yeah. where one guy is kept in normal speed and everybody else is played up double speed and you're like you look at the way that that just gives you a little second yeah. to assess and so if you take your time at the right time and you're born with just whatever that is that speed of assessing things around you quickly those are great things to combine yeah 100% I, I'm, I was uh, I was always a, always a striker obviously when I, when I started off Wolves and always the same as say about Benzema coming off and I knew how to play the number ten because when I started off Wolves I played with uh, Don Goodman, Steve Ball and me playing behind them as the runner everywhere, but didn't really know how to really play that. Obviously at 17 years of age I was just had so much energy that I'd be mm. side to side run here, but then when I went to Tottenham and I learned it from Teddy because mm, he was playing behind me and I was playing higher, so I kind of. I used to kind of watch him and, and, and learn from him. I was like 21, 22 when I went to Tottenham. So I kind of understand how to play it. was at Leeds and stuff, but not, not really until I kind of played with Teddy. So I don't think Teddy really knows this, that he kind of taught me without actually, like, actually sit, sitting out with me and telling me that me by watching him, what he did and how he moved. And as, as we know, Teddy, he was never one that would be sprinting around. It wasn't his game. Maybe his game would be, as you said, get into good positions as I said sometimes walking and I kind of learned that from him so when he left I kind of took that took that role on so that's observing someone and that's watching someone and understanding why are they good at that what makes them so good at that and that's what made Teddy and me said about people like Messi and stuff like that and I kind of I knew how to do it but not really until I kind of played with someone like Teddy can you remember a thing in a match or a training where he did something that you automatically thought was odd because at 21 you haven't seen everything, you don't have this backlog of experience, you're like, what, why? Oh, and look what it did. Were the, were the things that stood out to you? He always had time on the ball. Simple. He always had time. Wasn't the, wasn't the quickest, but always had time on the ball. Always. And you wanted to know why? Well, I kind of knew why, but I didn't, I, I wanted to see why. I kind of had an idea of why. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? You need, you, you, it's obvious in terms I think it's obvious to you. I don't think it's obvious. I always think about the people who are listening. Some of them might be 15 mm. and about to do what you two just did. I, I, I don't think it's obvious to everybody. It's obvious in terms of having space, five, six yards. Okay. That's, that's the obvious part. Okay. The, 
the thing that people don't get is how he does it. And as you said before about what Guardiola said about Messi, everybody frantic running around and around. And sometimes you just have to walk walk around. And that's funny you said that because my son now is eight plays plays up front. And I said, don't you always don't be keep running, running, running to the side. And the same thing as you said. Sometimes stand still and let other people run around you. They'll create the space for yes. you. Yes, and yeah. then sometimes yeah. you get, and that's yeah. that was the same thing with, with Teddy. People run around. I'd be running the channel, midfield be running here, midfielder trying to get in the ball, and this the, the opposition would be going side to side, going forward, forward, backwards, backwards. Where Teddy would just be standing. When I say standing still, not standing still as in just standing there. I mean walking slowly, just wait, waiting for the right opportunity for us to get the ball and bang, and he's got space, ten yard space, where gives him so many different options as a player to to see and. The best players in the world are the players who's always got space in the ball. And you look at people like Messi, they've always got, they've always got time to get the ball somewhere. And whether that's one yard, two yards, doesn't make it. That's all it takes. Which links back to whether it's one yard or two yards. The one yard isn't a lot of space and it links to the Luka Modric's of this world say, or Damien or you. Give me it now. Give me it now. Don't give me it in 0.2 seconds more. Give me it right now. I want it. And the ball's got to be right to my right side. You've got your body half turned. These, it's a chain of right decisions and right techniques. Mm. Yeah, of course, yeah. It's, uh, it's you understanding. Last thing a player wants to do is put his team in trouble. Of course, that's just no, that's natural, normal. But the good players are not frightened. The good players are not frightened to make mistakes <laughs> because nine times out of ten, they'll do the right thing. Yeah. Players that you've mentioned, they're the players that will always make the, the right decision nine times a day. Of course, the odd time they're gonna, someone's gonna attack them, lose the ball. I mean, that's just that's just football and the way it happens. But it's the players who are not frightened when they do get the ball away that will continue to try and get the ball. So, what stopped me is risk management. You accept risk and responsibility and pressure, but you manage it. You know where to ask for that crucial ball where to try a faint rather than just return it and move again. Mm. And you accept risk and you accept failure with risk. Yeah. You accept criticism with risk if it goes wrong. It's like, it's like a striker when you, when you miss chances. I always, I always say this. It doesn't matter if you miss, miss a chance. It's, it's the next one that comes around, what you're going to do with it. And also, still always get in them positions. Don't be frightened to miss a chance because... If, you, if you're frightened to miss a chance, you'll never get in that position again because you don't, want to be, you're, you don't want to be seen keep missing these chances. Beautiful, beautiful segue. It's as if you knew what was coming next. A little trivia question. And it's not to trip you up. But to our knowledge, only four international strikers retired on 68 goals. First clue is one of them's in this room. I'm going to give you that one. It, it's you. It's definitely not you. There's some people. <laughs> Any clues? I've got. Do you know this? No, I've got. I've got one. One of them is is German. Go. Yeah, Gerd Muller. Der Bomber. Hossam Hassan of Egypt, and Carlos Umberto Ruiz. But that name, I don't know if you know no. enough to watch Gerd Muller. No. I mean. Listen, I obviously know. And, it's a nice little stat. And and heard. No, obviously, good things about him. As before my time, you probably you probably seen, you probably understand. Used to, right? used to play with him. <laughs> Set some of them up. 
You did the thing is you didn't know that. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Now, the next little change of pace is I hate to go from what's been a very harmonious chat into the idea of sometimes there being dressing room tension and jealousy and bitterness. I thought I saw a very harmonious dressing room in Michael Carrick's testimonial. That, that was the impression I had. Yeah. You were in the other dressing room. But it was a nice sort of lovey-dovey atmosphere, yeah. very good game. You scored a beautiful goal, John Cattavilla's ball, and you lobbed the keeper. Um, and then at night, there was some singing. Hmm. Okay? Now, I asked Michael Carrick what I had to ask you today that you'd enjoy answering. And it, don't ask him about singing. That was his, he'll go on and on and on about singing. And I think that's given that you both sung that night in that mad little warehouse in Sulphur Keys. I, I feel there's some sort of rivalry or jealousy about you because Michael stood up and sung. Well, obviously, obviously it's the jealousy has come from Michael. Well, I'm, I'm only asking so that you can clear it up with the same articulacy as you've dealt with well, all the other subjects. Well, there's nothing really to clear up because apart from me being a way better singer than Michael. He knocked a very good Oasis tune out of the park that night, I would say. He, he had a bit of help, didn't he, from his brother-in-law he as well. Did. <laughs> so I just got up there. I had Wayne Rooney helping me out, but he was kind of just miming what I was singing. Michael, I tried for you, all right? <laughs> I tried. Now, the reason was, because me and Michael, obviously, good friends, as you know. Yeah. We played together at Tottenham, and we used to go out with the, with the girls and go back to his house, and we used to have a put the music on and have a sing-song. So he knows that both of us like, both of us like to have a sing-song. See, I was brought up in music. See, people, uh, people know that, I think. My father was a singer. So, no, I didn't know that. No, 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 I didn't know that. So my father was a singer, and it was very, very, it was very big in my house. Um, you know, either traditional Irish music, or my dad was more of a, like, Joe Cocker, Rod Stewart. So all my holidays that I've ever had as a kid, which wasn't many, uh, was won by my father in in, uh, in, in competitions. Sing, singing competitions. That's fantastic. So, yeah, it was like two in, in two holidays in England that we won some down in used to be called Mosney in Drogheda years ago. So yeah, so my dad was a singer. So I was brought up with that. He played the guitar and uh, I said he used to sing all around the pubs on, on, on a Sunday. That was his, that was his job. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever. He would go off uh, and sing in pubs. And he'd be singing around the house? Oh, yeah. This is where you'd hear it, would you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Would the radio be on a lot? No, no. Yeah, a little bit. CDs sometimes, but him, him singing mostly with, on the guitar. So if I did this to you, like, with the vinyl, with the records, was there a record player in the house? Yeah. It was like a, yeah, a cassette. Like a cassette, tape cassette, you know? So he, he loved the, the, the final... Yeah, yeah, not not many, but mostly mostly tapes. Who would his artist be? Rod, Rod, Joe Cocker. And so funny, two great voices. Because I was in LA last week, and I know Rod very well, and we were together, and we took a, we took a photo together and sent it back to the family. Actually, it's, it's on Instagram, um, and uh, the whole family. Imagine, you know, my father was alive now. You know, see me with Rod Stewart. You know, it was just like, you know, one of his one of his heroes. You know, almost as proud as. Because as he was beginning to get ill, you scored and, and it was at Spurs and you went Hatchet to... against Everton. We won 4-3, four, 4-2. Four, four, these four. are bittersweet memories. But, yeah. but, but to be able to say that about that day, to say that about his hero, Rod, yeah. and the, the fact you've got a um, 
a friendship and a similar talent, I have to say. In, in singing? With Rod, yeah, Oh, with Rod, yeah. We, well, I lived in L.A. So, because uh, we used to go up to Rod's and play five a side. He's got a, he's got a big, uh, he's got a nice astroturf there with a big, massive Celtic uh, crest on it, which is, which is great. It's a, uh, I used to, do 10, 12 lads used to go with his kids and, and used to play, so it used to be good fun. When you sing, this is not more personal than you've been talking about, but I genuinely think that it does something for you chemically. It's like the, the, the endorphins you get in the gym. It's, I think the world would be a, a lot more peaceful if people would well, just... If you, you ask any player that played with me, you know, everyone will say that he loves singing. Whether it's with the lads or we go out and have a, you know, have a night out in the, uh, with the Irish lads or whether it's in England, in the showers or, or whatever, I'd always be the one that be, would, be, would be singing. But can you feel your, the stress or your I, troubles going away? I, I'm contending it's that it's a, it clears your head. You're walking six Well, I'm just only really doing it to try and get a contract or something. Next factor. <laughs> we've, we've, I can't see that happening. We, we've done what little we can. <laughs> now, J- Stephen Reid contributed something about you and Richard Dunn sharing a room and just all those icons for glasses of beer. Right? So I can't really ask that as a question. We're just going to have to move on from there. Jimmy Carker said, like, ask him about, and you've talked about this before, but he reckons... Rafa Benitez wanted to change your position in a pre-season yeah. friendly after 20 minutes. Yeah. To what? Left wing. Can you... No. I've, I've got my... <laughs> that's that dealt with. Can you know? I mean, know? clearly not a left winger. I mean, that's obviously for, for clear for everyone to see. He had a forced 20 minutes. He wanted to play left wing, which I've obviously never played before. Um, so it was, kind of, it was kind of new. It was new to me, you know? And you end up respecting him. You've often spoken well about him being tactically good. I love the balance that you can say, we didn't get on, it made me choose to do something which I know you don't mm. regret, but was a, was a slight loss of something. I'm sure you'd have liked to have had a better time there. Of course, But you yeah. still ended up speaking well of him and respecting them. Yeah, of course. Listen, I, I think that's quite I unusual. I respect every manager I, I've, I've worked with. Uh, they all have their ideas, different ideas, whether... Whether I agree with him or not, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter really, but I've got my opinion, he's got his opinion. Um, I'm clearly not a left winger, as we've probably established that from 20 years playing football. Um, but tactically, he was probably one of the best that I've, I've, I've worked with. He knows the game inside out. Um, but he, as I said, he wanted to kind of change me into something that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of not. So that was always going to be a recipe for a disaster. You know, someone who was used to scoring goals, playing in either a strike or a drop and deep. And, and I played, you know, when I did play up front, you know, obviously I scored goals. But my problem was that when I did play, then I wouldn't play the next game. Hmm. Which for any striker is obviously difficult. And it's poison, isn't it? You're, you're going into a game, you know, after scoring two goals, waiting for the next game. You can't wait. You know, strikers rely on, you know, confidence. And, and, and as soon as you get them goals, you know... They're coming. There's going to be more to come, and then you get dropped or you play someone else because of something else. I don't know. And then, of course, that kind of kills you a little bit. So for me, it was that was the hardest bit bit to take uh, more than more than anything. So if, for me, and I mentioned just briefly before, I don't know. I don't wake up on a Saturday morning and just to be sitting on the bench to pick up my wages. It's not me. I I, I love football. I love football. I wake up every morning, Monday, Tuesday, and can't wait to walk into that dressing room and put my football boots on to go train. Can't wait. And then 
to do Monday to Friday and wake up that Saturday morning, you put the TV on, you know it's Saturday, and you got that adrenaline, that Saturday feeling where three o'clock comes, you can't wait to play. And then you're sitting on the bench. That's like the kick in the backside. You've, you've, you're sick to the stomach, sick aren't you? Sick to the stomach. Yeah. And I was just never like that. I just, I just couldn't do it. And, and, and people say, oh, well, you left there. I didn't want to leave all these places where, where I've been. Like Liverpool, for example. I didn't want to leave after six, seven, eight months, wherever it was. No chance. I want to stay there. I wanted to be... Go down and scoring loads of goals and playing, winning stuff for the club. But at the end, if you're not playing and you know that there's, there's no light at the end of the, the tunnel, there's no really point in you hanging about just for the sake of hanging about and just to be picking up your wages. It's, it's not me. Is there a little thing, you, you clicked really cl- uh, quickly with David Beckham, apart from his talent. Now, I was lucky enough to be England reporter, Manchester United reporter at that time. It, made, it infuriated me. I was in um, Saint-Étienne, I think, when Argentina knocked them out. And Kim Milton Nielsen um, allows Diego Simeone to come right through the back of Beckham at yeah. the beginning of the tournament. The, the mandate is it's an automatic red card for a tackle from yeah. behind. Everybody forgets that. Mm. There's this tiny little flick out and they say, you've let us down, red card, whatever. It's an atrocious piece of work by the referee. And I didn't like the way he was hung up by the manager and the, the media and so on. Yeah. But what you knew already by that stage was that if you push David Beckham down, you better just stand back. And I saw Tony Adams saying that, take that, use it. And um, mm. he'd done so after being you know, humiliated for England with Holland and Bambaston. And he said to Beckham, he was the only one in that dressing room, he said to him, I can bottle this up and use it. And of course... David and Manchester United went out and won the treble next season and there was something extra about him. Do, when something like Liverpool happens, is, are you, do you share a tendency with him that if you, if you push at Robbie Keane, then the pushback will be bigger? Is, is that your character? Yeah, yeah, yeah I would say. Um, I think what you're getting at is, is do you feel like you have a point to prove? I think you... I didn't have a point to prove in terms of you know, what I did before, but I always say to the players, it doesn't matter what you did before, it's what you do after. Like, if I, at 26, scored loads of goals for whoever I was playing for, it's what you do from that moment on, you know, mm. after that. People remember what you did there, but they're going to remember also what you've done after that, you know, and as I said, it didn't go as well as I, I would have liked at Liverpool, but I could have just sat there and just moped and, and I said, sit down, accepted that, uh, got my money and, and what have you but for me I just love playing so it was always going to be me leaving to play just to play football just to play. and it didn't matter didn't matter where, where I went it was just to play football so um, you know when I left Liverpool was it successful yes it was and, and I, I continued to, to, to score goals so I gr- regret you know the moment that, no not at all because sometimes in life you have to go through these moments to kind of uh, you know, get you, get you on out the other side to kind of realise that, you know, I know I'm a top player. I know I can score goals no matter where I go. Yeah. And I've managed to do that. The, this might be unfertile territory and we're drawing to a close because Inter was so long ago. Mm. But I like the little loops that, you know, Tardelli takes over from Lippi and then Tardelli yeah. comes into the Ireland camp. How, how was that relationship? Was there any, even a nod back no. to then? The first thing I did say to, to Tardelli is like, Jokingly, I said to him, well, 
I said, uh, one thing, you, you can't get rid of me here. I said, you'll be gone before I will. Don't worry about that. That's perfect. That's but what that football's was, beautiful about. Like in, in a the, little jab and then we move on. It was, it was actually, it was in a, in a funny way. We had a, a laugh about it. Obviously, I did it in, in, a, in a jokey way. Yeah. So, uh, but he, he, was, he was a good guy. He was a nice guy. And listen, I at that time. I was, I was a kid, you know. There was like, there was eight, there was Perlo got released. Mm-hmm. When yeah. I went to AC Milan. There was like, there was like 10 other, other players that, top players went on to have great careers that, that never... Shadoff won the European Cup everywhere else but... Yeah, exactly. He was my roommate. So, um, yeah, it's, it's mad how, how football can kind of, you know, intertwine, if you like. And as I said, that, that night in, you know, that night in, in, in Barry where, you know, 1-0 down and scored in the last, in the last couple of minutes was, um, you know, against the manager that brought you there. And with the manager, basically, the assistant manager who got rid of you. So it was a bit weird, so... It was, uh, of course, for, for playing for Ireland anyway, regardless who it's against, uh, that the score, the score of golf for your country is there's no better field. We sat with uh, Jodie Morris one one of these episodes, uh, the day in which John Cruyff died, actually, and Jodie, um, with his words and his attitude, just helped me through. It was a really hard, emotional day. And he said something similar about when he was, uh, he was an up-and-coming young buck and quick and cheeky and clever at Chelsea, and he was made to room, or he was given Gianluca Vialli as a roommate, to show him things and help bring him on. And he said, if they could have seen Luca lying there in his bed, buck naked, ordering pizza and smoking 20 fags, yeah. they wouldn't have let me room with them. No, no. I take it Clarence Sidorf was... No, completely different. No. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a lot of players who were like that. As you know, a lot of Italian players, they do smoke. And, Definitely and do. I've, well, they do because I've, I've been with them. So after, after games and stuff like that, they'd be sitting, we'd be sitting on the couch just waiting and they'd be... Uh, you know, all the Italian players, Lauren Blanc, we, you know, so the bus have, having to smoke with the with the manager and stuff like that was, it was certainly a, a, for me it was an eye opener as a as a nineteen twenty year old kid, you know, and then as I said, someone like you know, Clarence, we flew flew together back down from from Cardiff up from the European final, the yeah, yeah, and uh, we still we still get on great now and speak to each other all the time, and uh, we used to have our own rooms. Uh, in the training ground, we had two players to room, so me and obviously me and Clarence. And I was one of these that we always want to be asleep by, always before twelve o'clock. Always, I have to be asleep before twelve o'clock. But Clarence, would be, if he had a game in the next day in the evening, would stay up till three in the morning. And I'm like, so watching, put the movie on and stuff. And then one o'clock, he go, "Come on, Robbie, let's go and have a cup of tea." We'd always go and have a cup of tea in the kitchen, a green tea, and this. Uh, used to have this Italian cake. It was uh, oh, what's the name of it again? Like a lemon, a, a lemon cake. Like you know, we, we spoke to each other about it last week. I said, <laughs> I said, Jesus Christ! If I was a bit more experienced, I would have told you to f off. Yeah, yeah. you know. But as a kid, you know, yeah. I didn't really know. You know, I thought this was this was the kind of normal. I said, never sleep. But he, I couldn't sleep in the daytime. I couldn't. I, I can't even now. I can't sleep. And I, I lie there and watch a movie and. Maybe close my eyes for five minutes and be back up. I could, couldn't sleep. Obviously, an energetic young lad. You know, he would, he would sleep for three hours in the afternoon, no problem. Well, I couldn't. So I'd be sitting there waiting for this game, wide awake and tired, obviously, for being up at three o'clock in the morning because Clarence wants to have a cup of tea and watch, watch the animation movies. <laughs> because if it's culture, this is what I like about the crisscrosses because it's cultural norms. 
You were surprised at the smoking, and Jeremy Mateo, who's just left Barcelona to go to Sporting, been caught smoking a fag now, and he's still having to defend himself. And I was saying, well, everybody does it. But if you've taken two beers after an inter-match, yeah. you know, the rest of them, are, they've been smoking away. What the... F- you know, two yeah, beers, yeah. that's ridiculous, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's just a different, different Complete culture. different culture, no. Yeah, but you have, and you, have to respect, you have to respect everyone's culture, but where they're from, where, where players come from, where you're in the Premiership, they come from Italy or... Uh, look at Viali, for example, you know, top, top player, you know. Extraordinary trainer. Yeah. Extraordinary trainer. And that, you know, what's, what's, what's right for, for me, maybe not right for him or vice versa, so it doesn't really matter. As long as you're producing on the field, who cares? So we're leaving you now with the idea that um, out to play with and training and for Teddy Sheringham, out to yeah. a completely new culture, India, yeah. so exciting. Big playoffs against uh, Berber, I think, because mm. your two teams, I'm calling them your two teams, played in the cup final or, mm. or the grand final uh, last time, because he's with the Blasters. Yeah. You're going to Kolkata. There must be an extraordinary, you, you must be a cosmopolitan man because you're totally open to this new experience. The culture's going to be completely different. Yeah, yeah. But if, I w- if I'm not a complete idiot, what's driving you is the same idea as you took to Los Angeles. I want to go, I want yeah. to win, I want to create something, carve a little market in Indian 100%. football. Same yeah, thing. A million percent. Yeah. Yeah, there's no... The same mentality as I, when, I, when I went to LA. Obviously, uh, lifestyle-wise, it will be completely different, but... One thing about me is I'm not frightened of a challenge. Not frightened. I kind of I embrace everything. I, I take it in. I respect uh, everyone's culture. Uh, I know that it's going to be, you know, at times I'll probably see things that you know I've never seen before. But you know, I've been around the world. I've been to Nigeria. I've seen stuff there. So I'm I'm, I'm kind of just in the World ex- Cup. Uh, yeah. The Junior World yeah, Cup. Yeah. So I'm kind of half, half expecting. But listen, it's I, I know from a lot of people, it's, it's a, it's a, also a great country. And um, as I said before, I'm there to play football. I'm there to make a mark. I'm there to win uh, and give, maybe give the, uh, the Calcutta supporters something that they probably haven't seen before. And that excites me. Excites me. A new, a new, a new adventure, a new challenge, and new fans different lifestyle just to see as I mentioned before I could go, could go back to England if, if, if I wanted it and, but like being there done that you know for me it's it's always good as I said before to leave a mark somewhere else and, and you know that's only going to happen you know and that's only up to me you've, ex- you've achieved extraordinary things in your life and your career but you're a man who represents everything that I think all of us love about the f- Football, love of the ball, love of winning, humour, style. Um, Kolkata are very, very lucky indeed. It's been a real pleasure to get to know you. And also, you know, thanks for sharing. Thanks for making it so clear who you are. That's the aim of the big interview. And I bet you anything, people out there are absolutely lapping it up and enjoying hearing you, having you in their ears. Enjoy Kolkata. Appreciate that. That's been lovely. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for season 2018-19. We've got huge creative plans for the months ahead, but we do need your help to make them happen. 
please go right now to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and become a social, become a paying member and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. Last season, socios listened to nine exclusive big interviews including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Deeney, Roberto Di Matteo and loads of me talking about football. The Premier League, the Champions League, Spanish football. I'm sure they enjoyed it and you will too. Support us, join us. Thank you. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.